Guys, if you're over 30, you're going to want to hear this. Every year after puberty, HGH, human growth hormone, the hormone responsible for workout recovery, performance, metabolism, and even libido, starts to decline, sometimes by 50% by age 35. Doesn't matter who you are, how hard you train, or how good you eat, it just happens because we get old. That's where BioPro Plus comes in. BioPro Plus is the first of its kind non-synthetic alternative to prescription HGH growth hormone treatments. All the benefits of synthetic HGH without any of the needles, side effects, doctor visits. Best part of BioPro Plus, it works fast. It's easy to use and 100% safe. It's been trusted by physicians since 2009 and its benefits can be felt in just days instead of months. Guys who use BioPro Plus have experienced faster workout recovery, enhanced performance, metabolism, sexual function, and even better mood and energy. Want to fix the way you perform, look, and feel without all the risk of big pharma synthetic stuff? BioPro Plus. Click on the link in our bio show notes to learn more. I tried BioPro Plus myself and I love it. If you put your body through the ringer like I have, then I think you're gonna love it too. Now, that's what I'm paid to say. Here's what actually happened. These two little white boxes show up in the mail. One that has ampules in it that you take first thing in the morning, and one that has ampules that you take at the end of the day. Within 12 days, because you're taking one ampule in the morning, one ampule at night, and by day 12, I went into the gym, and I'm not kidding you, everything was lighter. My pull-ups, I already can knock out 20. I'm a year away from being 50 years old. I do sets of 20. But this was the first time in a while where I can get up there and knock out sets of 20 plus. Now you add in weights, right? Bench, press, squat, deadlift, all your big basics. Everything was significantly lighter. I also noticed that I was getting more done during the day. My mood was probably better, but because I'm antisocial, there's no one around me to tell me that I was in a good mood. But I felt like I was in a good mood. <laughs> anyway, BioPro Plus, it works. And then when I got off of it, because I did test, okay, let's see what happens when I get off. Things I noticed when I was off is that my joints went back to kind of achiness that I didn't notice before. Um, especially in my shoulders and my knees, which have injuries. So that achiness kind of came back. So of course, I immediately got back on it and continued the journey and will continue the journey. So make sure you check out BioPro Plus. Check them out. Click on the link in our bio show notes to learn more. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. 
Hey everyone, it's Clint. Thanks for listening to another episode of Can You Survive? Uh, today we have a straight up 100% bushcraft wilderness skills instructor. He's a builder. Uh, he is very active on Instagram. I follow him and I want to welcome Robert Bushcraft Kelso to the show. Thanks for joining me, even with uh, the little bit of uh, sketchy Wi-Fi, because you're in the boonies and you're actually living and breathing everything you preach. Isn't that right? I'm trying to. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we'll get you warmed up with a little bit of a uh, rapid fire. And then uh, I'll give you two choices, and then we'll circle back to the whys and uh, hopefully uh, give our listeners a lesson in uh, bushcraft uh, throughout this interview. Um, so to kick it off, we got primitive or modern. <laughs> mm, primitive. Yep. Uh, bow or rifle? Mm, rifle. Uh, a Bic lighter or a ferrule rod? Mm, ferrule rod. <laughs> uh, a fishing pole or a fishing net? Mm, fishing pole. Uh, a casting net or a gill net? Mm, I'm going to say a casting net. Casting net, okay. Uh, beer or wine? Beer. <laughs> I think I, I could have guessed you're a beer guy. All right. Um, a good pair of boots or a good pair of socks? Mm, I'm going to go with a good pair of boots. Yeah. Are you a uh, Ford Bronco kind of guy, or are you a uh, Ford Mustang kind of guy? Um, I'm going to say Mustang. Mustang. All right. And then uh, mountains or ocean? Mountains. And then last but not least, money or memories memories yes okay so far so good um going back to the top i gave you primitive or modern you picked primitive which i could have guessed that i probably that was a give me but uh the primitive and bushcrafting they kind of go hand in hand right yes sir i would say um you know we're, we're following in the footsteps of ancient bushcrafters so all of these you know we get the these more modern skills are based from the primitive you know they're taken from the primitive side of it so you may as well just go right to the source i think yeah and then do you feel like the pandemic has increased everyone's uh, awareness and um interest in bushcrafting um i would hope so um, you know, the bushcraft sort of the whole survival. Um, I don't know. It's not bushcrafting and survival, depending on who you talk to, are 
not the same or they are the same. Everybody has different opinions, but um, to me, bushcrafting is more about the problem solving aspect of it. And I would hope everyone is trying to get better at problem solving. And um, if anything, the recent um, pandemic should have made people think about, you know, ways to do things out of the norm. Yeah, I like that answer. Problem solving. It's not, it's not you know, that's really at the end of the day, that's what survival is all about is you got to figure it out. And ideally, you've got some background and some knowledge that makes it a little easier to figure things out, right? Instead of reinventing something yeah, that, sure. that was already invented, you know, thousand years ago. Um, that's right. The next choice, I gave you the bow versus the rifle. You pick the rifle. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rifle kind of guy. I mean, I have nothing against bows. Traditional archery is super awesome. I've made a couple bows, not nothing fancy. Um, I hunt with a compound bow, but, but just for what I do in, in my normal, uh, day to day or month to month thing, however it goes, whether I'm checking traps or I'm hunting or I'm just beating the bushes, um, I'll take, I'll take a rifle most of the time. Yeah. Just a small single shot 22 magnum most of the time. Yeah. I think uh rifles just certainly make it very easy, right? You don't have to you don't have to get so close to get what you uh whatever it is you're hunting and you uh you know, and it's great for self defense. So um Yeah, yeah, and you can scare something too with it, you know, versus the bow. Bow's not very loud. But if you you know, if you were in a situation say I was run up on a black bear or something and it just was acting dumb. I could, I don't have to immediately, you know, shoot it to necessarily make it leave. I could just shoot, you know, a warning shot and maybe enough to scare it away versus a bow. You don't have to holler at it, you know, unless you can make your bow like a, a whistle or something. <laughs> That's a great point. Have you had to, uh, have you had to scare off some bear just with uh, gunshots? I haven't. I've had to scare off some coyotes before, and then um, now I don't scare them away anymore. It was uh, before I got into the goat business been several years ago, and well, that coyotes are in the goat business too. They like to take them without asking, so right. I had to do quite a bit of predator control. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense, and I like that. The coyotes are in the goat business as well. <laughs> some natural the chickens or whatever. They're in the business too, and they're fierce yeah. competitors. Yeah, they're predators and just natural, com uh, natural competition, right? <laughs> um, they've been doing it a lot longer than we have. Yeah, they have. They're, they're pretty smart. Um, Bic lighter versus the feral rod. You pick the feral rod. Yes, I picked the feral rod. Now, which, which would I go to first, the lighter? Yeah, like I carry a lighter in my pocket all the time. But I did um, this old video. I don't know how easy it is to find on Instagram, but I laid a a, a, a big lighter down on a rock and a ferret rod down on a rock. And I took another rock and just smashed them, just smashed and picked the lighter up. And it was just pieces. I couldn't do anything with it, but I could still strike the ferret rod. Right. And I know that was, that's kind of, pretty far-fetched that you would just smash something that bad 
but you know that's how survival situations happen you know something out of the normal far-fetched next thing you know you're in it so that's uh i can use a fair rod when it's busted that's right. why I, I chose that no it's a great point i mean there's been plenty of times i've had stuff and like when i was in the military in my cargo pocket and you take a good fall everything in that cargo pocket is uh potentially damaged and useless you know to include a big lighter right. um Fishing pole versus a fishing net. You pick the pole. Yeah, I like to be present. Um, hmm. And I know, you know, if you set up a net, it can work while you're not there. Yeah. But um, a small fishing pole, that's a food getter, man. To If you can sit there and just fill the line, you know when to pull it. It's uh, I just kind of like having it in my hands. Yeah, I like that. I like your answer. Be present. That's, uh, yeah, I think it's important to be present with uh, a lot of things we've been, we do these days. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then a casting net versus a gill net, which, uh, yeah, you picked casting net. Yeah, my area, um, it's, it's a lot of creeks, and you'll have these deep holes a lot of time where fish will congregate. And um, just one of those little cast nets like you catch shad with, you could slay fish in a situation where you needed to use that. I mean, it would you could get the whole pool, so to speak. And a lot of our, our creeks and stuff aren't very deep, so you can sight fish. You, know, you can see what you're going for. And you know, I know it won't it won't work while I'm sleeping, but said it's kind of like being in control of it i like i like to do that like to have it in my hands do what i'm doing yeah no it makes sense man um and i and once again you're kind of pointing out environment will dictate right if you've got fish that pool in a certain area and it's just easy to just you know throw a cast net in grab them all up in one shot then heck why not you know whereas with a with a gill net you set it up and you got to kind of sit wait you know and and uh and, and, and check and it hope, hope they're going in the direction you know that you said it but you know they may you may have some stuff further upstream and everything's going downstream you know and you have a thousand fish going downstream and five nine of those are those are pretty far fetched answers or numbers but you never know man i think it's easier just to throw it right on top of them you can see them and yeah. just hope that they go that direction right and uh for listeners, you know, a casting net obviously is a net that you can throw out. It's like a spider web and then scoop up a bunch of fish. And a gill net is kind of the same, but you set it up and it hangs like a curtain in the water, creating this net barrier that the swim then fish into or the, the fish swim into and get tangled um and you literally set it up and walk away both of them great i think gill nets though are like really they're i didn't know this um until a previous show that they're pretty illegal in a lot of places like you can't there's a lot of places where you're not allowed to use gill nets to fish yeah yeah to to fish the um a throw net you can't catch any game fish with one like it's it's uh it'd be like a shad that's why i said in a situation where you had to use it. Yeah. But like most of the time where people's going to use them, they'll be 
be catching shad or some sort of bait fish to use to catch catfish or, you know, what other kind of game fish are going for. But if that was an option and you had it in, you know, a survival situation, and again, that doesn't make it legal. You're, you know, if you're, if you're using it, you know, in a survival situation, it's still against the law, but they're going to be way more lenient on you, you know, if you're trying not to die, but um, it would definitely catch fish. It'd be a good option to have. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Beer versus wine. You pick beer. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a beer guy. I like, um, I like sour beer. It gets, uh, gets hot down here. Yeah. I live in Georgia, so it gets pretty hot. And in the summertime to me, there's nothing more delicious than a good sour beer. So you've never had sour beer. I suggest you try it and then you can cuss me afterwards most folks don't like them but i think they're delicious <laughs> i'll have to try one is there a specific brand you like um i would say if you're gonna try one try the dogfish head sea quench ale that's a that's a good one to start with it's not don't it's not too crazy it's a real limey sea salt uh type beer it's really good huh i'll have to try that Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You know about Slider Sunday, the weekly tradition all about sharing sliders made with soft, fluffy King's Hawaiian Rolls and Slider Buns. Here's the thing. King's Hawaiian Rolls and Slider Buns are so versatile, they're perfect for any slider, no matter what you make. That's why this year, King's Hawaiian is celebrating Slider Sunday your way. Because the best slider is the one you love to create, eat, and share with family and friends. So, a few things you need to know. First, start with King's Hawaiian. Whether it's their original Hawaiian sweet rolls, slider buns, or their sweet and salty pretzel slider buns, the best sliders always start with King's Hawaiian. Second, what you put on it is totally up to you. Fried chicken and pickles, pulled pork with coleslaw. How about breakfast sliders with bacon? bacon, egg, and cheese, or ice cream sandwich sliders for dessert. All ideas are welcome. Head to kingshawaiian.com for more inspiration. So head to the bakery or deli section of your grocery store for King's Hawaiian Rolls and Slider Buns. A good pair of boots versus a good pair of socks. You pick the boots. Yeah, I'm going to go with boots. I, um, I'm kind of weird with my boots. Like if I'm at home, I have a pair of steel, steel toe muck boots that I wear for everything. Cutting grass, checking traps, walking to the creek, running the forge, whatever, I wear them. If, um, if I'm going out, say uh, I did a trip to Colorado um, five days out, and I got these really inexpensive, I'm not going to say cheap because they're fantastic boots, but they're, they're really inexpensive. They're under 50 bucks, and I have wore those things everywhere and they just um they wear great and, and but see if, if i'm at work i wear um keen utility in a paper mill you got to have some pretty good stuff to protect your toes so 
depending on what I'm doing, I wear a good pair of boots uh, when I'm doing it. But I, that you can't, I can't knock on socks though. But I would rather have a good pair of boots. I'd rather have a good pair of boots and some decent socks than good socks and boots that the soles falling off of. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and what's the what's the what's the brand in the boots that you kind of that you said are inexpensive and you? They're called Nordivate. It's N O R T I V and the letter eight. And not I'm not just me. I have turned a bunch of people onto these boots, and they all love them. And it, and we, we've had them for a couple of years now. And I mean, I know a kid named Gabe that is the hardest person on shoes I've ever met in my entire life. You know, he's still rocking them. His dad's bought him a pair, but they both bought a pair. And uh, they love them, man. It's good boots. Huh. Nordiv. Eight. I think they're like, they're like when I got mine, they were $37. And I still got them. Still have them. I wish the sole was a little more aggressive, but other than that, fantastic boots. Huh. Yeah, that is inexpensive. And if you're if you're saying that they last through all the stuff you do, then they got to be good. I have to check those out. Nordiv Eight boots. Check them out. They're, yeah, they're pretty awesome. Huh. Um. Okay. And then we got a Bronco versus Mustang. You pick Mustang. Actually, I was kind of surprised by that one. <laughs> no, I like I like no, I like four wheel drive. I do, but. Also like burning the back tires off something, and in the the two choices, I think I'd I'd rather have an old Mustang just to listen to it and you know put a new pair of tires on it every weekend. If I had to. <laughs> they're yeah. fun. You know, they're fun. I'm with you. Speed for me is uh, it's like therapy. It really is. I you know I I joke about it. You know I've got buddies that turn to alcohol or turn to you know all these other things and i'm like you know what speed's a much it's a it's a better alternative i feel like and it's uh yeah it can be dangerous at times and dangerous to others but if you had to pick an addiction i'd I definitely think uh going out and going as fast as you can isn't a bad isn't a bad idea <laughs> oh, yeah. or, or just a couple squirrely donuts yeah know? there you go push my own face yeah, make sure there's plenty of space when you start doing squirrely donuts. <laughs> That's right. Um, mountains versus ocean. This was kind of a gimme. I figured you'd pick mountains. Um, any other reasons? Um, now, I think it would – I love the mountains, first off. like I've only been a few times, but we got pretty big rocks and hills down here where I'm at, but I'd never seen mountains until – um, a couple years back, I went to Colorado, visited a buddy of mine, and it was great. First time we went, we hit one of the, uh, climbed one of the 10,000 foot mountains, and just, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain unless you, you know, you're looking at it. Mountains are pretty awesome. Yeah, they are beautiful. And, uh, I mean, oceans too, but it's hard to explain that how it is staring at one of these mountains, man. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I tend to, you know, if I have a choice between going to a beach or going to uh, like a cabin in the mountains, I I tend to go to the cabin in the mountains more often than not. Um, oh, yeah, and, I would too. Yeah, yeah. I just, it's just, there's more to do. It's just uh, a lot more relaxing. The air is clean. It's cool. It's crisp. 
people. Yeah, there's no, yeah, you don't have to deal with people. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, money versus memories. Memories. You pick memories. Any good memories? What are your uh, most fondest memories in this world of, uh, in this crazy world? Oh, man. Um, my kids. I had, uh, you know, I, I had no idea what being a father was going to be like. And you couldn't give me enough money to take stuff like that away from me. Like this, yes, it takes, it takes the father to understand what I'm saying, maybe, but there's no amount. It's better than being a dad, I think. Yeah, I, I could, I agree a hundred percent. Like I, uh, being in the military, I missed basically the first 10 years of my daughter's life. And then I've just been playing catch up ever since. And it's, uh, yeah, it's the best thing for you. And it's the, obviously without a doubt, the best thing for your kids is for uh, mom and dad to be present and engaged. And, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, you're teaching your kids great stuff too. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, they listen, I'm yeah. trying to, but they listen, they pick a lot. Yeah, they listen when they choose to listen, right? <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I got two girls. I got one just graduated high school, but I can't say, um, I can't say anything bad about her listening skills or anything else because she's she's made made excellent choices and she's super smart and super proud of her. So she's a she's smart kid. She's doing well. That's good. That's awesome, man. Um. All right, so you've survived the the rapid fire. You did really well. Good job there. Now we're going to get into more about you. So really, I mean, when I saw a lot of your videos, um, first, you're really good at filming and doing things with one hand. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and with like an $80 cell phone. So um, <laughs> yeah. that's a huge, it's not really a sting, but they've made fun of me for a long time. Um, cause I just, well, I, I had this little, look at the screen. I had this little $80 Android and that's what I shoot all my stuff with, but, uh, they're trying to get me to get better cameras and I got GoPros. I got nice GoPros and stuff, but you know, it, this thing's in my pocket and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not hard to use. You I mean, and you can take good pictures with it. If you just kind of, if you, you have to want to take good pictures so you got to try to figure out how to use it and um i figured out how to use it i can take some good pictures and some stuff just look like trash but you know i'm having a good time when i'm doing it anyway yeah yeah obviously and that's all that really matters and you're you're supplying people with some cool uh some cool information and um great ways to like uh improvise and adapt and then you know turn it turn things into things that you know most people wouldn't even think about it's uh i think it's great i think everybody should be following you um so let's get into it where where did all the you know bushcraft skills and your interests come from oh i'm gonna say in this would be probably early 90s my family 
he relocated to southeast Texas. And I lived in a, a little town called Hillister, Texas, outside of Woodville. And um, like most of our or us in our, in our childhood, our mothers wanted me out of the house and back for dark. So my entire childhood spent, was spent in the woods for the most part, just, you know, seeing what all I could get away with, really. And I had good, I had good parents. My mom, if I wanted a hatchet, I'd get a hatchet or, you know, I, I had plenty of pocket knives and stuff like that. But I got to, uh, I got to make my own choices a lot. And, and not so much things that were super important lifestyle-wise, but when I was going out and do something, I could say, well, do, do I really want to go and wait across this swamp and see if I can go fish over there? And I, I didn't have to ask anybody for permission. I could just go and do it. Now, did I did I always get away with it when I got home and my stuff smelled like you no know, dead animal? No, I got in trouble a lot too, but she didn't tell me not to do that anymore. You know, she just wanted me to be careful. And, uh, you know, I always got to kind of follow my nose. And uh, I loved fish. Um, that's where I really fell in love going bass fishing was in Texas. And uh, at an early age, I was trying to make stuff work with what I had. And I had this old, super crappy spinning rod and reel. And, uh, Man, it was dying. Like the eyes was falling off of it, and I'd break the tip off, and I'd go back and cut it real close to one of the eyes. Well, the eye would fall off, so I would take um, like a big ink pen that's got the tube, and I'd take and roll it and cut me some circles and take my circles to my fishing rod. So I still had some eyes to catch stuff. I, uh, I had all kind of fishing. You know, when you're little, anything that, that's – looks like it might catch a fish you, you buy so i had tons of gear for fishing but i could always come up with these little rinky dink things like one of the best bass i ever caught was on one of those little white-headed jigs but i, I took and bit a rubber worm off right at the, the thicker portion of the body where you're supposed to put the hook and put that on there and uh i caught like a five or six pound bass for that and i was uh, i may have been maybe in 10 but you know i figured out overcoming these little obstacles was really pretty easy most of the time you know you may not have some super awesome outcome from it but at you know just remedying the problem uh it doesn't take a lot of work to do that and i you know i, I got on that train when i was really young and i've always uh my dad uh, he owns a small engine repair business so i've always kind of been encouraged to you know try stuff take stuff apart you know, but always try to remember how it goes back together. And um, I've had a bunch of fun jobs throughout my life that are, um, I'm a millwrights, like an industrial maintenance mechanic. So I've worked on some super awesome, really rare pieces of equipment, primarily in the sawmill industry and the paper mill industry. But I've always loved trying to fix things or creating things. And it just kind of rolled over from, you know, me doing all this little rinky-dink stuff and exploring as a child. So I get to go to work and be paid to build this stuff or try to try to fix a problem on one of these machines. And it's, um, it's been good, man. It's, it's what I enjoy to do. The problem-solving part of it, I guess, 
is probably the most uh, exciting thing to me. Yeah, it sounds like it. Just, uh, I think uh, what I do. you highlight something that I think everyone should uh, embrace more, and that's curiosity, right? I mean, curiosity okay. is really what Curiosity, drives. imagination. Yeah. Like uh, I, somebody asked me one time about blacksmith, and I got a small blacksmith forge um, in the backyard, and they were asking me questions about what you need to start blacksmithing. So I put together this hundred dollar deal. I was doing a bunch of demos with it. So I went and took a hundred bucks and bought everything, including the anvil to forge stuff. You know, you're not going to forge nothing big, but just small stuff to learn how to do it. hundred bucks. And I said, I said, you need something to heat, something to beat and a little imagination. And that is precisely what you need to learn how to do blacksmithing. You just got to, well, anything got to, Imagine what you're going to do and then execute. You know, so it's, uh, it's not that hard. More people, more people could accomplish a lot more things if they used their imagination and then just tried. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah, you're nailing it. I love the, uh, yeah, imagination. I like the, you know, buy something that you can heat and something that you can beat and then a little bit of imagination. That's a, there you go. That's how you start blacksmithing people. Yeah. I like to ask everybody comes on board, craziest moment, scary moment, moments where you're like, uh-oh, this might not work out too well. It can be an emergency situation. It could be a, just a crisis, natural disaster. Has there been, oh, has there been anything that you're like, uh-oh? We, um, me and some buddies of mine, there was four of us in high school, and they were all two years older than me, so... Um, they, uh, they got to high school before I did, but when we were in high school, we loved to canoe down this creek that we have. And it's, it's probably 45 minutes from the house. It's big Cedar Creek. And we'd take two trucks up there. We went canoe sometimes, but one time we had got a skitter inner tube. So it's like this huge six foot wide inner tube. And my dad cut me out a circle that would fit inside the inner tube. It's like a seat. We put three pieces of rope in it. So we made essentially like a raft out of this giant inner tube. And we said, um, we're going, we're going to do it. And it is kind of sketchy when you first get on the river, cause you got to run across some property that to this day, we don't know who owned it, but you weren't supposed to be on it. So we had about a hundred yards that we had to cross before we could get to the creek. And then once we were in the creek, it was fine. So we had somebody drop us off. We took off, got in the creek. Well, immediately when we got in the creek, we were like, this is going, this is going way slower than normal. And now we have skitter inner tube and us. That's it. We have nothing. Like somebody may have had a pocket knife, maybe. So about Two hours into the float trip, which is normally about, I don't know, it's probably about six hours when it floats good. We realized that we're not going anywhere. Like this thing is just, the water's not moving fast enough to take us out. So we make the decision that we're going to have to, there's, there's a bunch of fields on one side of it. So we decided we were going to take and scoot the inner tube up in the field and we're just going to have to bail. We're going to have to go. It's going to get dark on us out here. So we, we left it and started going down 
we could swim a bunch of ways, but uh, a bunch of the way, but a lot of times we'd have to get on the side. About an hour into ditching it, this lightning storm comes up. That, like, we thought we were going to die, dude. Like, it was so bad. You couldn't lightning, it would strike, and it was like lay all the hair down in your ears loud. Like, it was so close to us. And uh, a buddy of mine said, look, let's cross this field and see what's on the other side. And there were sporadic trees throughout of it, but we take off across there and we come up in these people's yard that were throwing horseshoes in the lightning storm. And there was <laughs> one dude, it was like, hills have eyes. He had blue Liberty overalls on and a mohawk out there. <laughs> and my buddy Clint was like, we're going to die. We've come up on some stuff that we, you know, we don't need to see. And uh, they were super friendly. Lotus, Lotus up and took us to the campground and dropped us off. But um, being on the bank of that creek, and it's it's probably 40, 50 yards wide in, you know, in a lot of places on this creek. But being out like that in the lightning storm with nothing and just being in a situation where we was, we was going to have to stay. If we didn't go, we was just going to have to sleep out there. And it still gets pretty cool at nighttime during the summer, especially early summer. And we just weren't prepared at all. And that's probably that with the lightning is probably the, the most scared I've ever been in a situation like that in the woods. I've been in some pretty crazy situations with um, coming up on accidents and have to do crazy stuff like that. I thought there's a dude going to beat the life out of me one time because I had to get a child out of a car that they had wrecked and um, he's, he'd been drinking. He And uh, I took the, the kid away from him and he took the kid back away from me. And I uh, was just talking a bunch of crazy mess. And uh, once the first responders got there, he run and I ended up having to go find him and take the kid back away from him again. It That was the craziest with, just uh, the public that I've ever been in. I didn't know what was going to happen with that. It was awful. Yeah. Wow. I, I, actually, that's kind of. But I try to I try to stay out of a try to stay out of crazy stuff as much as possible. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The whole goal is not to get involved in things, but we tend to find ourselves in situations usually when you don't least expect it, like a lightning storm, and then running up on uh, you know. Somebody playing horseshoes in the middle yeah, of the middle action, of lightning I, shore with a mohawk. I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy. But that accident, like I wouldn't. When we pulled up, um, there was a. It was a Ford Explorer that was facing the opposite way, laid over on its side, and I could hear a baby crying. And I was like, "Oh man, like this is bad." And I went to climb up on the Ford. It was laid a bunch of up against a bunch of pine trees. But when I went to climb on top of it, I stuck my hand in the little bitty, like triangular shaped window behind the the back passenger roll up window. And it was kind of like on like the, the, the back. But anyway, I stuck my hand in there and went to climb up and some dude started squealing. I mean, just not screaming. I mean, he was squealing. And I jumped down and went and looked and I could see like this much of a guy's face and his arms sticking out from under it. And uh, the baby was still screaming and hollering and and I told him, I said, I said, man, I said, I'm sorry, but I got to climb up here, get this baby. And I climbed up there and he, 
continued to squeal. And when I opened the door, the big guy was standing on like the driver's window. It was on its side and it was trying to get me to get him out instead of the baby. And that's when I realized something was, something was wrong. And then it just escalated quickly after that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and I'm assuming that was his kid, right? He, he, he said it was, um, and he ended up giving me the child. So I just closed the door back because I had opened the door when I was standing on top of it. Well, well, he ended up kicking the windshield out barefoot. He had shorts on, no shirt. His head was like like a scalp. The scalp was flopping around. And uh, he come up and he, he said, give me the boy, give me the boy. And I said, man, I, I can't give you this boy. And he says, in perfect English, he was a Hispanic guy. But in perfect English, he said, my wife is too controlling. Don't call the police. And I said, brother, the police is coming. Like, I don't know what that has to do with this, but the police is coming. And the little boy was crying for him and he was one of the little boy. So I just, I gave, I just kind of put them together. We'd picked a bunch of glass off the little boy's face. And as soon as he got him, he picked him up real close to him like this. And he kept trying to touch me. And he was saying all this stuff about not calling the police. And I was like, dude, the police is coming, man. Like, they're coming. I'm not. Wow. Well, about the time first responders pulled up, he took off with the kid and was dragging the kid. And uh, at that point, EMTs and police was in, like, fast-forward mode. They were trying to do all this kind of stuff. And I went to high school with one of the EMTs. And I told him, I was like, man, there's a dude over here that's got a kid. And he was like, where? And I said, well, you just run down the road. And he said, dude, go get the kid. Well, I'm running down the road trying to get the kid from this dude. It was crazy, man. It was just wow. one of those things. Yeah, only on, only on, you know, I can imagine, like, American highways, and then I've seen some crazy, it's 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 the high, it's on the side of the road all over the world. <laughs> this is the craziest, craziest yeah. stuff that goes on. That's yeah, good, true. man. That's a oh, good. Yeah. And it could have, it could have that stuff could have been happening in three more places, as many people as there are in America. You oh, know yeah. I mean? Or the world. Really. You never know. Yeah. No doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. Um, well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. That's good stuff. Um, back to your bushcrafting life. Um, All right. How? So we kind of talked about it in the rapid fire, but go through like in your mind differences like bushcrafting is actual skill sets that can then support a lifestyle it can support survival um how what other ways do you kind of look at it um well when i say like i can i can kind of put it into two different categories so survival would be trying to survive with whatever you have at that time in that place bushcraft is more of going with a kit and accomplishing a task that maybe you have predetermined or you have a general idea of what you want to do when you go out there so you take the stuff with you to do that mm. versus survival is just what you have you know you don't you don't know what you have you're rolling into a survival situation. You just got to try to, you know, make it work with what you got versus being already set up to accomplish something in bushcraft. That's the way that I, that I look at that. And then there's also like primitive skills. Like I don't necessarily put primitive skills in 
with survival or with bushcraft. I think primitive skills are kind of their, their own thing. Like, you know, like I teach several classes and in my bushcraft class, like we don't teach any fire. I don't teach any fire in my bushcraft class. You know, I teach a firecraft class that's for fire. But um, I, don't, I don't think doing a bow drill necessarily is bushcraft. I think it's, it'd be a firecraft, you know, but, but the, the, the thing about what we do is so many people do it and there's no rules. So if whatever somebody wants to say that they're going to do, that's it. And then really can't nobody say anything about it because there's, you know, it's, it's up to the, to the practitioner what they want to label what they're doing. So I like it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, I see it, but other people might see it totally different. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Now, if I were to show up to your bushcrafting class, what kind of stuff, what kind of stuff am I going to learn? Right from the bat, we're going to learn some knife safety and some knife skills. So there's a bunch of different handholds. There's a bunch of notches, uh, some batoning, basically how to do as much as you possibly can safely with the blade that you have. And then from there, we're going to roll into a few knots and some lashing. Well, once we get knots and lashings, then I'm going to start introducing these little projects. I don't have any right here close that I've done, but for example, I'll do like a, um, a spoon that's made it. the the spoon part. The bowl is a, is a shell and you got to put a handle on it and make a spoon. So I'll give you guys like what I'll do. I'll go over how we do it. I'll show you the demo piece and then I'll give you a shell. And the rest is up to you. Like I encourage people to use their imagination going and finding their, their materials that they need and coming back and then we'll put it together together. And there's there's a ton of different individual projects that we do. And we learn in this class each little thing that you do, it's like a snowball, really. So you you'll learn how to in the beginning, you may be learning some notches that don't seem that fun and the slashing and material selection. That's a big thing, too. You know, if you if you want to carve some chopsticks, for example, you don't want to go get a two inch OD piece of oak to carve two chopsticks like that. I mean, you can if you want to carve chopsticks for three hours, but, you know, making the making the call on correct materials to use on top of knowing how to do several different smaller um, tasks. It all adds up to something big. So all the, in my intermediate class, we do a whole bunch of little small projects. Well, what I'm doing while this is going on, I can't go too much into it, but while all this is going on, I'm building the big project out of sight where people can't see it. So as they build these individual pieces, they're looking at all these individual pieces they have, but out of the way, I've built this simple machine from each of the individual pieces that we made. Looking at them independently, oh yeah, I have a pulley and I have this uh, this pot holder and these different stakes and it's not, it just looks like useful things as it is, but combined, it makes a, a simple machine. And it's, it's the... Uh, the, the the combination of all of the stuff that 
it's helps with the problem solving deal. So I teach a bunch of small stuff that adds up to big stuff in the basic classes. I guess long story short. Yeah. It sounds interesting to me. I mean, and I like your, your, uh, your process, right? Number one, uh, you're starting with something small that everybody can kind of get their first success. And then you kind of build up from there and then all of it kind of a culmination of a much bigger deal, which is, uh, I'm guessing when you do these classes, um, you know, how many people is this that you're, that you're kind of running through at a time? Um, we average about 10. I try not to go more than that because, um, I'm my only instructor. And yeah. I think if we keep it small, um, I don't want I don't want it to feel like somebody's not getting what they need out of it. And it's just a lot more intimate. It's probably not the right word, but I can spend a lot more one one on one time with folks just to yeah. make sure that they're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah. No, I like it. Um and then I'm i I'm looking at, you know, I've noticed you've got bushcraft right kelso and then you got the sassy right so can you can you go over some of that oh, for sassy yeah yeah <laughs> i still I, sassy's outside right now as a matter of fact probably trying to figure out how to consume children's souls but yeah i um i said i was in the, the goat business for a little while and we were raising american border goats i have a small farm uh here we, we normally raise chickens and goats and went a big garden had cows and all that stuff but uh, i was raising uh, meat goats and it was our first time we had babies dropping and one of them dropped two babies in like january it's super cold and uh when i went out there i, I saw the first baby and uh, it was it was dead so i i run back to the house and went back out there, try to figure out what was going on. And there was this little bitty red rabbit looking goat. Her ears were as long as her body. She was, she was all huddled up right next to the barn. And uh, her ears were real swollen up, which was kind of weird. It, this is the first time that I've ever experienced frostbite firsthand was with this goat. But uh, the mother went into a, they, they get depressed real bad. It's almost like a, uh, some sort of, PTSD maybe or, or something something like that but it's like their feelings get hurt horrible to the point where like they could die they won't eat and goats are just strange critters but anyway we took her in and I had to bottle feed her keep her from dying and she lost about the, the bottom three inches of her ears they shriveled up and just fell off that's why if you see her her ears are real short and stubby and they're white on the end she, she had folded ears at first hmm. but I guess we're she was wet and uh you know it was in the low 30s high 20s at times so that's what caused her ears to do that but she uh essentially became my child for the next several months so i had to bottle feed her and i took her to work with me and uh <laughs> rode in a truck well I, I i my backyard is 128 acres so I can go play in the woods anytime that I want to. I just walk across the yard and into the woods. Nice. And I do that quite a bit. 
and she got where she would pitch a fit if she couldn't come with me. So I just said, come on. So she'd follow me and she follows extremely well. And I said, uh, man, I'm going to get one of them canine rigs and put on the goat. And really you're not supposed to use a canine rig because goats have a, these spinuses on the, they got these little things that stick up like this on the top of their spine. And you're supposed to split that. Something goes on each side of that. Wow. But I got this, uh, there's no weight on sassies other than a poncho in a, a rubber expanding uh, cup because you get scared of the water. But over time, folks were like, man, I want to put a patch on there. I want to put a patch on there. So she ended up getting more morale patches and stuff than I had. And then people started, man, if I send you one of these, can you put it on her backpack or whatever? So, yeah. So it just evolved. People love sassy. And she uh, got to the point where she's about 210 pounds now, but she despises children. <laughs> does not like children at all. Wow. And uh, yeah, she still, she loves me, but women and children, she don't necessarily like. So when I would take her to these shows, Every lady and child wants to touch her, and you could just see it in her face that she just wants to devour these children. And she's she's my friend, you know, as much as you know the bushcraft goat. But I didn't I didn't want her to do that anymore because not not only in case somebody's kid got knocked over by my goat, which I think every child should probably be knocked over by a goat one time in their life just to say that they've done it. But uh. <laughs> Didn't want to do something she didn't want to do. So now she just hangs out with me. We still go out and stuff and play in the yard, and, uh, but we don't do any shows anymore. But she's a fantastic pack animal. Like if I bought a, a pack goat rig and some panzers or whatever they're called and put on her, she'd haul, she'd haul whatever I put on her. Yeah, I would say so, especially at 200 plus pounds. I mean, she can carry some weight. Oh, yeah. And, and, and think, you'd think, oh man, these big old tank goats, they can't move. No, you can't, I'm not. She'll catch me, and and I'm, I mean, I'm not in the best shape in the world, but I'm pretty fast for fifty or sixty yards. Then I have a hard time slowing down, but she smokes me. She's super fast. Yeah, you can't run from her. Yeah, no doubt. That's awesome. And and, and once again, you can see Sassy on uh, on Instagram. Um, if you follow me, just look at who I'm following, and then it makes it a little easier to find. Um, man, I mean, there's I, a when I, when I first started doing the Sassy thing. I, I was real. I didn't even have um, social media really at the time. And uh, there's a forum called Bushcraft USA. And if you Google gearing the goat engage, you can watch the whole step by step how I did everything with Sassy's rig from start to finish. And, how, and, and from when she was first coming out with me without a rig, when she barely had any horns up to where she is now, it's just a the whole trip there it's pretty cool to look at it is that's cool man and i think goats man they just i mean they've become so popular especially recently whether it's those little itty bitty yoga goats or you know people with homesteads like yourself and raising them whether it's meat goats or i mean heck they uh they tend to also um be a good alarm systems too right oh yeah 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 they they, they hear and see stuff before we do most of the time. Yeah. And they'll, they're real vocal. Right. So like if I'm, 
outside and, and the UPS man's pulled up. Sassy will be telling me the UPS dude's here before I even hear his truck most of the time. And they're fun. Like, like they, uh, I had said one time it's like Comedy Central on four legs. Like they have these crazy personalities and they become like your friends. And, and they know they know what to do to aggravate you. Sassy knows what to do to aggravate me. She's ate the finger off of so many leather gloves or, uh, she likes to mess with the tie-outs on parts and stuff. She knows what to do to aggravate me. She enjoys it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, I'd love to keep talking, but uh, it's time. It's time to put you through your your crisis and see how you do. Are you ready? All right. Ready as I'll ever be. All right. <laughs> You're taking a trip. That requires you to board a small airplane. The airplane only seats about 15 people. You can select your own seat, though. So when you board, do you A, select a seat towards the rear of the plane, or B, select a seat towards the front of the plane? I'm going to say A. A. Select a seat towards rear of the plane is correct. Supposedly, <laughs> when planes crash, the tail end of it stays intact. And for some reason, I think there's uh, people out there that think that you're supposed to, uh, well, increase the survivability somehow if you fall out of the sky. <laughs> but either way. Um, well, to me, it would make sense. You know, it, the front, to me, seems like that's what's going to hit first. So. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, so you select the uh, seat near the rear, which in the event of a crash is safer. Uh, the plane is flying over the ocean, and you are in the laboratory when you hear a loud bang. Then the pilot tells everyone to brace themselves for an emergency water landing. Okay? Do you... A, stay in the laboratory and brace yourself, or B, quickly get back to your seat, fasten your seatbelt, and brace for impact. Oh, man. I think I'm going to brace myself in the laboratory. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, I, I, I think I'd rather hang on to something than be mid-step halfway down the aisle. You know, didn't end up in the front of the airplane if it hit. Yeah, no, valid but point. I don't know. Well, uh, because this is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure, there is a right and wrong, and uh, yeah, this adventure you picked wrong. That's okay though. All right, you all you can you can get you, you can get about three of these wrong. All right, so you're you're doing okay. So B, quickly get back to your seat, fasten your seatbelt, and brace yourself. As the plane crashes into the water, you manage to survive the impact. Good job. You find yourself floating amidst all the debris and wreckage. You're struggling to stay afloat. So do you A, grab onto a floating piece of wreckage for support, or B, just start swimming towards the nearest visible land? Uh, I'm going to grab onto a piece of wreckage. Yeah, exactly. You grab onto that, whatever you can find, conserve energy, um, you know, and try and uh, orientate yourself uh, and 
you know, make sure you're making right decisions. So you grab on a floating piece of wreckage uh, to keep yourself afloat. As you look around, you hear another survivor calling for help as they cling to a piece of debris as well. So do you A, swim towards the other survivor and offer help, or B, focus on your survival first and swim towards land and just leave them behind. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go help him. Yeah, because you helped a little baby, I knew you were gonna help this person. So, um, yes, a swim towards the other survivor uh, and offer to help them. And the way I look at this is, they could be your next meal, right? I mean, I'm not. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a food snob. I'll eat you if you die and I need food. <laughs> That's like work out here. Yeah. Um, all right. So you swim towards the other survivor and offer help and support. Together, you manage to find a larger piece of debris that can support both of you. So, do you a stay close to the debris and wait for rescue, or b now start paddling to the nearby visible island. I'm paddling. Hell yeah. Yeah. B, I'm going to the island. Yeah, I mean, we always hear in survival stories like, oh, I'm stuck in a blizzard. Yes. Stay with your vehicle. Don't wander off. Um, car accidents, right? Stay near the car accident. Don't wander off. Uh, but in this case, you definitely are going to go to land, right? Um, you can't sit. Oh, yeah. You can't sit in water. Um, you're gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna hype. You basically you're gonna, you know, hype out sooner or later. Hypothermia is gonna kick in. No matter how warm the water is, it will steal your core temperature, eventually. All right. You and the only other survivor make it to the nearby island. Good job. So. Do you A, explore the island for supplies, or B, just wait for rescuers? Because they've got to know where you're at, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to explore. Yeah, of course. You start exploring. You decide to be proactive. You, know, you got to keep moving. And you start looking for supplies. As you search, you find some edible fruits growing nearby, providing at least something to eat. Uh, and you also come across what looks like a bag of trash. Go figure, right? The ocean is full of trash, unfortunately. So, do you A, check out the trash bag, or B, just leave it alone? I'm checking it out, A. Good job. You check it out, you search the bag, you find useful items. There's a dull knife, a lighter, a plastic bottle, an empty can of beans, and a bandana. What do you know? So, next. Do you find a water source or do you build shelter? I'm going to say... Man. You need water pretty quick. I'm going to say water before shelter in this situation. Yeah, I agree. Water before shelter. I mean, this is an island and uh, you're kind of... You know, you could be limited, so the sooner you start, the sooner you get there when it comes to fresh water, and uh, you cannot waste any time. Um, shelter can wait. 
So, you choose to find water before building your lean-to. You find a stream. You start collecting water in the bottle that you found. You can use the bandana uh, as kind of a makeshift filter. And then you can use the other items you found to boil the water and really ensure that it is good to go. Because the last thing you want to do is get sick. Days turn into weeks. And you and the other survivor continue to support each other, rationing the remaining supplies and building a shelter for protection. So do you, A, work with the other survivor to build a boat, or B, collect supplies that you can use to signal for help? I'm going to B, I'm going to try signaling for help. Right. The con- you have to constantly, even though weeks have gone by, you have to constantly be creative and figure out ways to get someone's attention, whether it's another boat passing by, a plane that, cir- that you know goes over overhead. You've got to constantly be doing that kind of stuff. You can't just put one signal out or do one thing and expect that to work. Um, building a boat's a great idea, uh, but... Signaling is more important because building a boat would probably take longer than you want. <laughs> so it's probably better where to concentrate. Where are you going? Yeah, where are you going? Good question. So, yeah, more days pass and you and the other survivor continue to survive on the island. But the tension is growing between the both of you. One evening, you spot a ship on the horizon. Do you, A, light that big signal bonfire to attract attention of the ship, or B, swim out to the ship, taking the risk, but you could potentially reach those rescuers? I'm, I'm well, first thing I'm going to do is light my signal fire, and then I'm going to start swimming if I can reach it. <laughs> I'm going to light signal fire first. Yeah. Yeah, you can light a fire faster than you can probably swim and i don't care who you are so yes a you light the signal fire to attract the attention of the ship um, creating a large plume of both fire and smoke to get the attention of that passing ship soon a rescue team reaches the island and brings both of you and you and the other survivor back to civilization so hey good job I would have. I didn't expect you to do really all that poor anyway. And congratulations, you have survived this podcast. And the biggest takeaway right. here: resilience, being resourceful, and cooperating with anyone you got with you, so that you can just make it from day to day. In these situations, obviously, you got to have a lot of. Uh, um, motivation. You got to stay positive. It's real easy to get depressed, especially as time goes by. Um, but I think having projects that you teach in your courses certainly could help someone stranded on an island. Making sure you create a daily routine is important, right? Um, and right. maintaining your own mental health uh, definitely yeah. makes survivability yeah. a lot easier. Say that again, sorry. P, the PMA, positive mental attitude. That's right. That's gonna, it's a big one. Yeah. There's been plenty of people in a situation where they can make it and they just die, you know, quit, give up. 
you know, that's you got to have a little faith in yourself. That's right. Have faith in yourself. Make sure you do have some of the skill sets. Uh, be be creative and uh, just make it from task to task, uh, hour to hour, and day to day, and you'll probably be okay. Um, hey, that was great hanging out with you. Where can people find you, find out more about your courses, and uh, and learn everything that you've got going on? At Bushcraft Kelso will find me on most social media platforms. I'm primarily on the uh, Instagram. That's my biggest uh, spot. Bushcraftkelso.com. That's going to bring you all of my upcoming courses and actually lots of gizmos and gadgets for other projects someone may have. But that's, that's, that's about it. I'm not, I'm not widespread, really. Yeah, it's okay. You're putting out good information. I always enjoy your videos and the things that you uh, that you're putting out there for others to learn from. And Bushcraft Kelso, there you go. Pretty much on uh, all your social media. Um, make sure you check them out. Like I said, if you have trouble finding them, just look at who I'm following. I appreciate you being on the show, buddy, and taking the time out. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me, man. Not a problem at all. And uh, like I always say. Keep it simple. Crisis will complicate the rest. Until next time, be safe out there.